All right, I want to make a disclaimer to what Jordan just said. For those of the men that are here that was thinking, I thinking I might want to come to the men's gathering, when he added McDonald's, don't let that be a hindrance. All right? That is there so that the rest of the week we can live healthy and balance everything out. So anyway, come on over to the, the men's gathering on, on Saturday morning. All right, before we actually get to the sermon, I told you I was going to have a picture with little Josh. How, Phil, how many hours was it? I heard 16, I heard 10, I heard 8. Phil, you, Barnes. Oh, well, there you are. Jake, I didn't know you were here. 12-hour surgery. So, and there was another picture. I almost put it up here, um, and it was with Jake and and Josh coming home from the hospital. See that right there? All the time. All the time. Always smiling. He probably smiled during the surgery. So just amazing. Got a great, great attitude, great heart. Um, what a beautiful young, young person Josh is. And so we'll continue praying for him. Um, I've been real betwixt. I, I almost came out with this sermon as far as what I was wanting to do on Monday, and I was wanting to actually have some polls created, um, but not everyone's on Facebook. And then I thought, well, maybe, you know, we've already done polls here where you get your smart devices and we've had all the things, and that way allows it um, for you to do it anonymously for those that do have the devices to do that. But not everyone is on Wi-Fi in this building. Not everyone has a smart device. Some of them are just devices. <laughs> and, and then you not only have that, but then you have to be able to hook up to our um, Faith Life app that allows for the polls to take place. So that's just a lot of hurdles. And I've tried it once before, and we had a good participation in the previous polls. But uh, again, it's, just, it's a lot of time to get it all set up. So we're going to go old-fashioned. Old-fashioned polls. Are you guys ready? All right. Be honest, be vulnerable, answer the questions. How many of you have ever had someone you did not know in your home as a guest? Okay, so I'm, that looks like maybe about a fourth to a third. Some of you shaking, you're like, I don't know if I did or not. <laughs> okay, all right. How many of you have cared for a person who is a complete stranger and they were in need and you cared for their needs. Complete stranger. That's awesome. I love it. That's about, that was about 35% right there. Almost 40% looks like. Just give or take. That's a wonderful number. That's really, really good. How many of you would consider it unwise, strange, or unsafe taking in a complete stranger into your home? Okay, let me break it down. Strange. Oh, yeah, that's a good bit. <coughs> Unwise. Yeah, I knew the police officer was going to say that. Okay. <laughs> Unsafe. Yeah, you just leave your hand up there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's, you know, it's an interesting thing. Let me reverse the questions. How many of you think it natural to bring a stranger into your home? One. Two, three, four. Raise them high because I want to see every six because there's very few of us here. One, two, three, four, five. And I got my hand up too, six. I'm one of the strange ones in here. Okay. Uh, wise. 
It's wise to bring strangers into your home. Not the anti-police officer answer here. Okay, one, two, three, four. Okay, four. Safe. One, two, three. Yeah, I'm not going to raise my hand on that one. I don't know if it's... It may, may seem natural, but not necessarily safe. Okay. Interesting, isn't it? I think there's a reason for that. I'm going to get to that in a couple of slides, why this poll was important. Um, but if we're talking about hospitality, it, it's really a difficult subject for a variety of reasons. I'm going to get to that in just a little bit, but I want you to, to, to really think through this. We have in Luke chapter 10, um, I think Ted was quoting out of Luke chapter 10, when the, when the lawyer was saying, hey, good teacher, what is the, you know, what must I do to inherit everlasting life? And he says, what's your reading of the law? And he goes right to the Shema, right? He uses both um, Deuteronomy and Exodus, those passages, that, and combines both loving God and loving your neighbor. And then Jesus said, yeah, you do that, you'll have life. And of course, he's wanting to justify himself. And so he says, well, you know, by the way, who's, our, who's my neighbor? And then we have this parable of the Good Samaritan. Imagine if you are on one of those roads going from Jericho to Jerusalem, vice versa. And in, you, in your mind, you know that road is not the safest road in Palestine. So you know, that's kind of the, the area that you're supposed to avoid at night kind of place. Like if you're in Nashville, you know where to go, where not to go if you are familiar with certain parts of the metro, right? Every place has that. And so imagine then, you know, this is not necessarily the safest passageway and what have you, but you have to go through there. And while going through there, you see someone who appears to be half dead on the road. Do you ever stop to think, is this a setup? Steve, setup, okay. So, so because you've known there have been newspaper articles where people get ambushed. You have someone who looks like they're in need, and you go to help them, and he's a great actor. You ask children the same scenario, every one of them, like, you just help them. I tested my daughter out. I tested Carrie Lynn out just to see where her mind was at. She's like, oh, of course, Dad. We're supposed to help someone in need. I said, but do you, do you know, and of course me tainting her mind, do you know not everyone's all nice and friendly? It's a very vulnerable thing to actually care for a stranger because you don't know what their motives are. Do you? It's a very vulnerable situation that you're in. It also does something that is very difficult for us to do. And this is for everyone, including people who have a reputation of being selfless. It's still difficult to look past your own needs and look at the needs of others. How many of you have ever, another poll, ever passed by someone along the side of the road as you're coming to church service, they're in need, but you still came to church? They are in need, you know they're in need. You don't know what the need is, but you know they're in need. Raise them high. I want to see. Do you ever feel guilty? Yeah, I felt guilty too. 
I've done it before. And you know, my mind is, well, you know, the church is expecting I'm going to be teaching this Bible class. I'm going to be giving a sermon. Whatever the reason is. There are things in life that are so much more important than a Bible class. I'm going to tell you right now up front. I promise you that. Something about loving another person, particularly when they're strangers, that is very difficult to do. And our polls have just shown it. For a variety of reasons, things that have yet to be discussed. And so when we're talking about this concept of hospitality, you're looking at a word that literally, in the most basic meaning, is loving a stranger. Right? So you have the word philosenia or xenia from philos, like Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, so phila or philos. You have that word and xenia, which means stranger. And so you're talking about being able to welcome a stranger. That's the concept. You caring for a stranger. That's the picture that is given here. That was the, the beginning use of this word. It has evolved over the centuries, over the millennia, actually. So that today, when we hear the word hospitality, we think of people that are invited into our own homes. And typically, who? Our friends. People that we do know, people that we do trust, that we allow them into our homes. They may not be our own family members, but we know them well enough that when they come in, they're going to leave. And if they leave, they're going to leave with, with only what we've allowed them to leave with. Right? They're not taking away all our stuff because we know them, we trust them. And so the vulnerability is not necessarily all there. And, and so we get into this concept of, well, how is the word actually used in our modern use versus biblical use. I want us to, to consider that I think culture, our culture has made it difficult to practice what I would consider as biblical hospitality, right? So you grow up and you're in school and we are taught stranger danger. Kids, you've been taught stranger danger? Children? Yes, you have been, right? Stranger danger. Say no to strangers. I, I then asked Carrie Lynn after the Luke, uh, Luke chapter 10 with the, um, the picture of the Good Samaritan. I said, well, then would you ever um, talk to a stranger? No, Dad, we're not supposed to talk to a stranger. We're not supposed to have candy from strangers, da 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 da, -da and all these things, right? So that makes it hard. I think over time in our society, we used to have our front doors open because we considered it a safe thing to do, and strangers could come up and we'd invite them in to our homes. There was a time when that was much more common in this culture. Let me tell you, uh, without jumping so far ahead of, of the sermon, that was very standardized in almost every culture in the world through history. That you would take in a complete foreigner and welcome them and care for their needs. And so something has happened to the point where in the name of wisdom, in the name of safety, we come to this point. Now, mind you, in the first century and prior to the first century, right, before the first century, there was a thing called the Bible that was teaching hospitality, that is, loving the stranger. And so this was in the midst of the fact that 
they're vulnerable. They can be killed. They can be harmed. They can be robbed in, in some way. So what I'm saying is the cultures have made it different and in our case difficult to practice what, what we're talking about this morning about loving a stranger. And then we have Pinterest. I'm telling you, this, is, this ideal has existed before Pinterest, but, but Pinterest has taken this to another level. It's all Pinterest's fault, right? <laughs> the Pinterest made me do it. So you've got this perfect house, and I thought, what a great uh, imagery of a perfect house. Everything is so perfectly laid out, symmetrical. The only difference is they only have the kitchen on one side, not two sides. But everything is just perfect. And then when you have some uh, families over to dinner, you got your best china out because if you're going to have guests, you got to give them the very best that you have. So the picture of having people into your home, even if it's not exactly like this, it's something like it. Our house is clean. It's clean so that if someone brought a white glove and went into the corner of our bathroom in the closet, you can wipe it and it's clean. That's the picture that we have. That the food is served perfect. I mean, right from the stove into our, or onto our plates. <coughs> Everything is ideal for having us over. So our modern picture in this country of hospitality is something closer to this than what you might typically think in Scripture. How do we get here? And how do we get back, if we're trying to practice biblical hospitality, how do we get back to that? And I find it very difficult because we have culture clashing, right? We have a mindset that it is unsafe, it is unwise, it's strange, weird. And so how do you make sense of this? And I don't think there's any easy answers when it comes to our modern views and how we try and look at the subject matter of hospitality. I think we could sit here for a long time and we could give good reasons for why it's unwise and why it's unsafe. We could give very good reasons, including maybe biblical reasons. But you still have to get to the, the teaching of God's word. If we're told to, to do certain things, then do we, do we make excuses why we can't? Or do we actually practice something known as hospitality? Hospitality, in my mind, um, is one of these things that I call the lost commandment. Because it's like the, you know, remember when Josiah was king in Israel? And Hilkiah the priest comes to him saying, hey, I found this book, right? They come to find out that book has been Years, decades, maybe more than decades, missing from Israel's history. It was the law of Moses. And when they saw that, you know what the reaction was? Well, in those days, <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, the reaction was, we've been neglecting certain laws, which included the Passover. That was a huge one that, that was part of the story of, of Josiah. And so... I believe hospitality is one of those things. And what's brought this to my attention from this standpoint was about a week and a half ago, uh, Wilson Adams had a statement. He, he loves sending out these daily things on Facebook. And it was dealing with hospitality. And one of the things that he, he asked was, when was the last time you heard a sermon 
on hospitality. So, of course, naturally, me, going through the Rolodex of my mind, which is not very good, I, that, I bypassed that, went to my history, looked for the sermon on, a, on a preaching of hospitality. And I know I've done it here at least once. The last sermon I did was based upon Martha, Mary and Martha. And it was a variation of the study of hospitality. Another one was where there was a man... He stood like in a tuxedo and he was there with the serving and it was more from a serving standpoint. But, but to straight only talk about hospitality and get into um, the biblical usage of that, I had done. And so I thought, thanks, Wilson. I know what my sermon is going to be on next week. And it made me really stop to think, well, how many others are in the same scenario? That there's not much teaching going on. And no wonder it becomes the lost commandment. If you go open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18, I want you to think about what was inherent in this time because it, it seems like a matter-of-fact story about Abraham who takes three strangers and not just welcomes them, begs them to be there. And this is not just... You could go on to ex, uh, Genesis 19 and deal with Lot and those two uh, angels that came, of course, they looked like men, uh, just strangers, to Lot. There's many other illustrations, but this would be one of many prior to the law of Moses being enacted. So in, in Genesis 18, look at what it says here in the first few verses. The Lord appeared to him, speaking to Abraham, or of, of Abraham, by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So imagine Abraham sitting at the tent door. He's in his tent, right? Nomadic lifestyle. I wonder why he's in the tent, in the doorway. Why not inside? Why not outside? Why there? And here's the picture that is given. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, bowed, him to the, bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree and I will bring you a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. And after that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, Do as you have said. Complete strangers. If we were to do this in a modern 2018 setting, of course, we're not nomadic. We have houses and what have you. But first of all, not many people are in the doorway in our house because we want to save our own electric bill. So we, we go outside the porch, and not many of us do even that, sit on our porches anymore. There's only one neighbor that I see as I travel from here um, from here to home and vice versa, that this family almost every day, if they're outside, they're on the porch. And it's a real interesting phenomenon because years ago that was so common, right? Everyone was on the porch. So imagine when you see someone from afar off traveling. Now, mind you, we have cars and we travel long distances very quickly, but here are these men traveling seemingly on foot. And you actually go and run up to them. You go to meet them, complete strangers, and you want to care for them. Does that seem strange now? 
seem foreign to us? How many of us would actually go into our tent, close the tent door, and hope, I don't, I just hope they didn't see me. <laughs> now, side story. Remember when we were knocking on doors here in Franklin? The first year we were here, um, Barlers, I know you were here with us. We went knocking doors. How many of us, I think, I don't know who else was here at that time that went knocking on doors other than Ron? Okay, so we went, we were here in Franklin off of Liberty Pike, and I remember distinctly as we were knocking on these doors, you can see faces peeking out, and as soon as eye contact was being made with them, boom, drapes closed. We're not home. You didn't see us. That is our typical reaction. Very different than Abraham's. This sense of hospitality was so common. It was so well believed in, in all. I mean, you can go to India. You can go to um, various places in Europe. We're talking before the first century. And I don't know all the, the peoples that were living during this time, but there are, there are evidences with written, um, written evidences, archaeology, that shows the practice of hospitality before the time of Christ. And this, in this case, we have before the time of the law of Moses. It was a mindset that you would actually do a disservice to the gods if you did not practice hospitality, if you did not love strangers. See where we've come? I mean, aside from the whole multi-god thing, the view that you would actually extend love to a complete stranger, to the, where we are now. So this was part of the pre-Law of Moses culture, very prevalent all throughout the East. Well, then you get into the Law of Moses, and it was an actual commandment. I want you to fast forward now to Deuteronomy 10. I want you to look at the text here and, and see the picture. And this picture I want you to hold on to for when we get to the last point of the sermon. Deuteronomy chapter 10 Israel has not only come out of the land of Egypt, been saved. They've gone through 40 years of the wilderness. And during those 40 years, there were, there were uh, communities of people that were not necessarily bought through all the scriptures, but it's intimated, whereupon they were cared for or not cared for. Okay? So, with that in mind, Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning in verse 12. Moses is saying to Israel before they're going, go, going to go into the land of Canaan. And now, Israel, what does Jehovah your God require of you? But that you fear the Lord your God to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. This was the Shema, by the way, just restated. To keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I command you today for your good. Okay? So love God with all your heart. Keep his commandments. Indeed, verse 14, heaven and the highest of heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. In other words, your almighty God who created the heavens and the universe has made everything on earth. All of his creation is here on earth. And you're going to go into this land. The Lord, verse 15, delighted only in your, or, yeah, the Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. He separated Israel from all the nations of the earth, is what he's saying. 
And he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He's going to send his reign on the just and on the unjust. He's going to show his goodness to Jew as well as to Gentile. That's who he is. He administers justice, verse 18, for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger giving him food and clothing. Therefore, verse 19, here's your commandment. Love the stranger. Of all that he said, when he says, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, his next commandment is, love the stranger. Who is my neighbor, God? Here's your neighbor. Again, verse 19, therefore love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. This verse is so packed, full of imagery. It would be a sermon all by itself, in a nutshell. This picture is, you were once aliens, once foreigners, and God made you his people. He loved you, the stranger. You were once enemies, he brought you near. And now you're in his family. Now, I want you, remember, when you were in that foreign land, how I loved you this way. Now, you go love others the way I loved you. That's what he's saying. Let that sink in. I'm hoping you're making the, the synapses jump from one point to the next. That was the law of Moses. You fast forward and you go through the scriptures, particularly as we're coming to the New Testament where we tell, well, you know, that's the law of Moses. We're not under the law of Moses. What do the scriptures teach in the New Testament? Look at Romans 12. In Romans 12, the whole purpose of Romans 12 is we are one body full of many members. And here's how we ought to treat one another. But of interest is this word of hospitality. And I want you to look at how this is being used and see a little bit of an evolution in, in what we have read in the Old Testament scriptures. And in the Old Testament, it was very exclusive in the early of what we call the Old Testament scriptures. Exclusively loving the stranger. That's what the word hospitality is. Okay? In Romans chapter 12, here's what he's saying. He goes on after discussing various things of how they should treat each other with love, without hypocrisy, so on and so forth. He says to them in verse 13, I want you to do among other things, distribute to the needs of saints and give yourselves to hospitality. There is a sense in which this may seem to be limited to Christians. And there is a case to be made for it. What he was meaning by that is, typically, you might have Christians that come from Judea to Rome. You don't know them. You may be Jew, they may be Gentile. You may be 
Gentile, they may be Jew, which would be more likely if they're coming from Judea. You love them. It's not just those, if I can use the modern vernacular, in this congregation. You might have saints from other congregations. This is the picture that is given here of hospitality. He goes on and uses it in different ways God does through um, the New Testament scriptures. I want you to look at Hebrews 13. This one is very specific of loving the stranger. So this one is a passage that we've read many times, I know. And we might get stuck on the nuances of the text, and I don't want us to get stuck on that. I want us to just get the big picture. He says in verse 1 of chapter 13, very similar to Romans chapter 12, verse 9 following. He says, let brotherly love continue. So now that you love each other, he adds to the next. Do not forget to entertain strangers. I'm not going to even read the rest. <laughs> Just because we might get into too much debate and discussion. Focus on the first part of the text. Do not forget to host strangers. The whole, in fact, if you look at the words guest Look at the word host, look at the word hospitality, and do an etymological search on all three of those words. They all pertain to strangers that you would have into your home. The original, and then how it's evolved, naturally, you having guests in your home could be anyone outside your family. So again, the evolution of these words. But the point being is that this was something that is saying, you love one another, and you love the stranger. Romans 12 Hebrews 13. And of course, Jordan read for us Matthew chapter 25. So here's the typical practice that was taking place. And this is, I'll use this for gospel preachers because it's a very easy illustration. So, you know, years ago, it was absolutely unheard of to um, take a gospel preacher who's coming for a, a meeting, a gospel meeting, and put him up at the hotel. Unheard of. Hotels existed then too, by the way, two, three decades ago, but it's unheard of. Today, it is very common actually. It's not that it, they're not hosted in people's homes and what have you, that still happens, but more and more are kept up in a hotel. And some would like it that way. Some claim allergies, you know, you don't have to deal with allergies. You might have a dog or a cat or something situation or whatever it is of the household nature. So hotels are good that way. Others, I got to get my work done and you all keep feeding me food. And I can never preach because I'm so stuffed. You know, a number of reasons why preachers on their end saying, I'd rather be kept up in the hotel. Or remember that Pinterest picture? Or that may be the other reason. We can't let him come into our home. It's, it's a mess. I saw a piece of lint on the floor, I promise you. I, I exaggerate the point, but you get it. it is, there are some that won't have someone else in their home because it's not up to a particular standard. I, I've, I've got a job. I don't have time to come home and cook the meals. I mean, we have cultural changes that take place. Understandable. But that's where we are with this mindset. So when we look at the commandments and we look at the teachings beyond the commandments, just the simple teachings of what it's like to be like Christ, where are we at? I'll give you an illustration. You talk, like every week it seems like the providence of God keeps coming out, right? So last week with the sermon that was given, the week before, 
um, I, on Monday, well, a week and a half ago is when I decided to do the sermon. About five days ago, brother in Christ, I had not seen, I've not seen him in 26 years. Thanks be to God for Facebook, because people change. We get older, our features change. I'm going to leave it at that. I would not know what he looked like. But he contacts me and says, Mitch, me, my son, and my son's friend are traveling to Florida, and can we stay at your house? Well, the answer is yes. But let me double check with my wife. I'll make sure, right? Because that's what husbands are supposed to do, check with their wives. And, and so Julie's, of course, we, we make do. They can sleep in the girls' bedroom on their beds or whatever. I don't know. However it's going to work out. We're going to work it work out. And, and that's what it should be like. There are other instances I remember when, when younger, in particular, that we would have brethren in our home that we didn't know. And sometimes it was not the safest situation. Julie knows exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, it, it got scary. Physically concerned for our well-being and our family's well-being. That bad. But this is our brother in Christ, and we love him. We've had strangers. I know I've, well, I know prior to us getting married, I've had strangers in my home. Not because I'm weird, because I'm wanting to practice hospitality. And so these are the things that we have to say, okay, this is what the Bible teaches. And we make excuses a lot of times when it comes to this kind of thing, but again, one more time, this is what the Bible teaches. And so it's easy to kind of finagle our ways going, well, maybe that's not what it means, and maybe it's not for our times. And I get there's cultural changes and cultural awareness and so on and so forth. But here's the point. Remember I told you to go to Deuteronomy 10 and let that sink in for a little while? You were strangers. And I loved you and I brought you and made you my people. I took you and now you and I are family. We're no longer enemies, we're friends. Now, go make friends with your enemies, with your strangers. That's basically what he's saying. So when we fast forward to New Testament teachings, if we're going to have this mindset of God, right? Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Then look at the picture for us because that picture of Deuteronomy chapter 10 is exactly what's taught in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, in the first few verses, you were enemies of the cross, enemies of Jesus Christ, and by grace you were saved, verse 4. And so he pictures that same grace in verse 8 of, of Ephesians chapter 2. And then in verse 10, he says, And you are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for every good work. So now, love God with all your heart. Now, how do you treat the stranger? Go to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read verse 19. Of course, we're all familiar with verse 8, verse 10, verses 8 through 10, I should say, of Ephesians chapter 2. We're not so familiar with verse 19, and yet, in this text, this is exactly how we should look at strangers. All right. Ephesians chapter 2, look at what he says. Now, therefore, you are no longer foreigners or strangers. 
who are bought by the blood of Jesus, loved by a God who considered you as enemy but loved you. That's an amazing, it's a strange kind of love that you would love your enemy. But you're no longer an enemy. You're no longer a stranger. You are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You've been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, their teachings. What were their teachings? Their teachings were, you were once strangers, you were once foreigners, and God made you part of his family. He loved you by his grace. He brought you near him. Go love the stranger. The whole of Christianity is for us not only to give our lives to our God, but remember the second commandment, loving your neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Well, here, let me tell you about the Good Samaritan. He was a good neighbor. He loved his enemy. He loved the stranger. He cared for him. That is the most fundamental, practical picture of Christianity when we're looking at the commandments of loving God and loving our neighbor. Hospitality is an extension, an expression of that kind of love. It's very easy for us to get comfortable, have each other in our homes. We're very good at that. But how good are we extending that love to our strangers? Let me, let me just narrow it down here to the building and then into our homes. One of the blessings that I hear so often, I mean, every month at some point, someone sits down with me and tells me something very specific about our church service here. It could be um, someone who has visited in the past and they've come back and we've, we get a chance to talk and visit. It could be one of our church members that has passed information along to, to me just by virtue of, of great edification. We are a family. It's even when David wrote to our church and, and had it announced this morning, he referred to us as our church family because that's what we are. We're not, the, we're not perfect at it, but we are family. We love each other. Again, we've got work to do. We've got areas that lack, but we love each other. And so we have this family relationship. And one of the blessings is that when visitors come through the door, bar none, I've, I've not, seven and a half years here, I've not heard of people going, man, you guys are just so cold. I've never heard that. No one's talked to me. I've not heard that. That doesn't mean it hasn't happened. I've never heard of it yet. What I have heard of time and time and time and time again is how warm and welcome we are when we came to visit. Where's Miss Linda Kendrick? Where are you, dear? There you are. Just spoke to her this morning. She said the same thing to me this morning. She said the first time Leah and I were, came and visited, we felt welcomed. And I've heard it from so many of you who are part of our church family your first visit here said the same thing or something very, very similar. That's a wonderful expression of loving the stranger. But isn't it easy to love strangers in a safe environment like this? It's not as vulnerable as having someone in your home. I don't know why that is other than the fact that your home, it's your private domain. It's where all your 
secrets maybe are. I don't know. Right? Don't look in the closet. Don't look in the refrigerator. Don't look in the A, B, C, D, F, G, all the way to Z. Something about having someone in our home. It's something about stopping and actually seeing someone in need and going to care for that need. (coughs) But when you do, it's a beautiful, beautiful deed. This is what it's like to be made in the image of God when we can take the love of Christ to those who are strangers and foreigners of the household of God. And many of these foreigners, their lives, pretty messed up, pretty ugly. They've got package or baggage, I should say, that maybe we don't want our children to see. We don't want our wives to see. We don't want anyone else to see. We don't want to even be a part of it with that baggage. And that baggage could be bad language, foul mouths. It could be activities they're engaged in. But remember, they're of the world. How else are they going to come into the body of Christ? Is it only because they come into some building that somehow they'll become Christians? Is that our extension of evangelism? Is that our extension of showing the love of Christ? Or is it reaching the strangers the way God reached for us, who are strangers to him prior to becoming his children? That's the picture of biblical hospitality. That's the picture that we need to have. Jordan read Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 40, but of course that was not the end. Verses 31 through 40, Jesus in the picture here, or the Lord in the picture of the day of judgment picture, right? When judgment comes upon mankind, he says there are goats and there are sheep. The sheep parted to the right, goats to the left. And when he said to the sheep, when you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. He then goes to the goats and says the very same thing, but in reverse. When you didn't practice it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. You say you love me with all your heart, soul, and mind. Do you love your neighbor? This picture of hospitality is right in the text, in all of the text. It is a fundamental aspect of our walk with Christ. And so I want to ask you that question. Do you, do you now think it strange, biblically speaking, to love the stranger? Shouldn't be. Now, it may still be just because it's not necessarily a practice that you're comfortable with. I get that. It's understandable. But it is a practice. And you can have safeguards. You can use wisdom to be employed. But there is risk nonetheless. There is risk. Whenever you open up to those who are strangers and enemies of God, it's always a risk. And you may end up suffering because of a decision to have someone that you care for. But remember, life is not about you. That soul is precious, but not saved. That soul, God wants to be a child of his. And God uses you as his conduit, as an expression of his love, an expression of the gospel. So where are you going to be? Sheep or goat? 
That's the day of judgment, right? That song that was led for us, you know, each day I'll do a golden deed. Think about that. Think about who it's being extended to. It's easy for me to extend it to, well, I'm looking at Brad, to extend it to Brad because I love Brad. We know each other. I know Brad is going to be nice to me in return. What about someone I don't know? And as far as your houses, listen, I'll use ours. Now, this is not, I'm not saying anything against Julie and our daughters and our children and me in how well we, our house is not the cleanest home in our congregation. But you're all welcome to come. I don't think none of you have died from being in our house, right? Because it's not as maybe as clean or whatever. You might have tripped over a toy and stubbed a toe or whatever. Those things, yes, and I apologize for that. But you're always welcome, right? When, you, when I tell you when we have our potlucks, bring homeless, bring your neighbors. I honestly mean it. Bring people that the world rejects, that society rejects. It brings a joy and a smile and warmth to my heart. Yeah, you might have to return them back to a tent. You might have to return them back to a street corner of some sort or whatever, wherever they come from, maybe to their homes. But I'm telling you, you're doing the Lord's work. You're doing it biblically. It's not to stop doing the love that we have for family and having everyone that we know in our homes, but extend that love. And it may come in small ways, but do it. Practice this, and I'm telling you, you're going to grow as a Christian. You're going to grow in the people that you reach. You're going to grow in the things that you say and the way you think of people by practicing hospitality biblically. Now, if you hear you're not a child of God, you stand as an enemy of the cross because you don't have that closeness with God. But God loves you, the stranger, the enemy. He's given you his son, his precious blood, and he wants you to be his child. He wants to be your father, whom you can say, Abba. Isn't that the gospel right there? Good news to bring salvation to lost, strange souls? That's your invitation. Brethren, if you've not been walking with Christ in this way, I'm not saying the answer is going to be today that it's all fixed. But over time, hopefully this is a mindset that you grow in. Hopefully it's a mindset that you begin to apply in some small way. I'm not asking for leaps and bounds, but for, for growth. And I pray that you'll start today, though. That's your invitation. Why don't you come forward if you need our prayers, if you want to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins.